Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's good, boys and girls? Two for the podcast on Thursday, the 13th of October, brought to you by EPLindex.com and those wonderful people at LibertyShield.com. Liberty Shield are a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things, you geo-block from, while also keeping your data safe. So if you are a UK expat wanting BBC iPlayer, If you want the full range of what Netflix has to offer, not just what they choose to give you in your country, a Liberty Shield VPN allows you to change your IP address, set it so that the interwebs thinks you're somewhere else, and you get whatever content you want, and your data is kept safe. Liberty Shield are the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot, five-star ratings across the board, association with me obviously helps with that go to libertyshield.com right now and use the code epl25 that's epl25 to get 25 percent off at checkout we're also brought to you by home of hopcroft a giftware and homework company located in scotland but shipping worldwide check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and finally do check out the epl index and anfield index shops which you can find on etsy Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Do remember to check out the Tad Predictable podcast hosted by Tadiwa on this feed every match week. And of course, the EPL Roundtable podcast on its own EPL Roundtable feed hosted by the one and the only Kevin John DeVries. Always good listens when Tadiwa or Kev are involved in anything. Right, folks, Champions League last night. And if you might have guessed by my tone, I'm a little more chipper today. Rangers 1, Liverpool 7 is the only place to start. What a game. (laughs) What a bizarre game. Uh, The first half was awful. The second half, Liverpool were unbelievable. And not even close to their best, but managed to score six goals, including a Mo Hattrick Salah in six minutes. The Fastest hat-trick in Premier League history. If you don't listen to my Daily Red podcast, you should listen to my Daily Red podcast. 
and you can hear more about that game on there. You can also, if you're an Anfield Index Pro subscriber, listen to the thoughts of myself, Trev Downey and Harry Setti immediately after the game. If you're not a subscriber, you can still listen, but there will be ads. So if you prefer not to have the ads, subscribe to Pro. It's a great deal. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to go into the game anymore. Liverpool 7, Rangers 1. Uh, that It speaks volumes for itself. Liverpool 7, Rangers 1. Liverpool 7, Rangers 1. 7-1. Um, in the other game in that group, Napoli 4, Ajax 2. Napoli looked like they were going to absolutely destroy Ajax again. They were two up in 16 minutes. Lozano and Raspadori with the goals. Then Kavicha scored a penalty on 62. And Victor Asimian making his long-awaited return off the bench with the fourth goal. Now, uh, Ajax had gotten back into it a bit on 49 with Davy Klassen and again on 83 with a Steven Bergwijn penalty. But I do believe that the scoreline flattered Ajax a little bit. I thought once Napoli went two up, they were kind of cruising. And they are, they are a ferocious team right now. They're really, really special. You look at the starting eleven. Wouldn't be massively keen on Di Lorenzo or Juan, but Kim is outstanding. Oliveira is very, very good, and I do like Alex Murray. Zambo is tremendous. Labotka is the white Kante. And Zielinski is, has taken his game up to a new level this season, and he has been awesome. Lozano, Raspadori, and Kavicha as a front three. On the bench, Mario Rui, forget about him. Elif Elmaz is a fantastic young midfielder. And he's probably he's 23, I think, now. But he's really, really good. Victor Simeon's one of the best number nines in the world. Don't know much about a man called Hubert. Uh, Giovanni Simeone, really good striker. Politano, a good, versatile attacker. Zerbin is good. Not great, but good. Uh, Sirigu is a, a quality backup goalkeeper. Very, very experienced. Leo Ostergaard's a really good centre-back. Zanolo's decent. Gaetano's very good. And Tango Endebelli, at his best, is tremendous. That's a really strong squad. That's a really strong squad, and I'm having a tough time seeing past them for the Serie A title this season. And I thought, genuinely, they might have a bit of a tough year because... You look at what they did in the summer. They lost big figures. Lorenzo Insigne, the heartbeat of the club, gone. Dries Mertens, the primary goal scorer over the last six, seven years, gone. Kaladu Koulibaly, gone. Fabian Ruiz had been the hub of that midfield, gone. Lost all four of them. Two of them by the way, on free uh, free transfers. But went out and just restocked the shelves brilliantly. Oliveira looks an excellent signing at 11 million at left back. Zambo, they obviously had him, but 15 million for Zambo. What a deal. Kavicha for 10 million euro. It, that's mental. They sold him... On January 1st, they'd get 75 million without a shadow of a doubt. 
Leo Ostergaard, they got him for peanuts, about 5 million euro. Kim Min Jae, they got him for 18 million euro. Bargain. Simeone on loan, I think there's an obligation to buy there. Endembele on loan with an option to buy. Uh, Raspadori on loan with an obligation to buy. And Sirigu in on a free from Genoa. That is an unbelievably good summer transfer window. It addressed all their needs and strengthened them as well. What a what a fantastic transfer window. You have to give credit where it's due. He's a bit of a headbanger, but De Laurentiis runs a good club. He does run a good club. He's got good people in good spots. Now, I'm not a big Spalletti fan, but he is he is coaching his ass off this year. He has done a tremendous job since taking over. This might be the best he's ever been. He did, to his credit, he did very, very well at Roma and obviously did well last season with Napoli, but this season he has been absolutely brilliant. His in-game management, his team selections, the way he's rotating his players, little tactical tweaks he's making to deal with the opposition's best kind of avenues of of creativity, just taking things out of games on teams. Great win for Napoli. So they are through. They top Group A, 12 points. Liverpool currently second, 9 points. Ajax have 3 points. And Rangers, ni point. So... Um, You'd be fairly, fairly happy if you're Napoli. You're through. Obviously, they'll they'll wipe the floor with Rangers, I think, next. And then I could see them resting everybody for the Liverpool game. Uh, Liverpool only need one point to get through. So while it's been it's been a bit of a difficult path other than last night, uh, with the walloping against Napoli and then wins over Ajax and Rangers that should have been far more comfortable than they were, uh, last night kind of set them on the right way. And uh, they look like they're back in business. Um, Athletic, Atletico Madrid nil, Club Bruges nil. Um, Atleti dominated the game and I think let themselves down. 21 shots, 9 on target. Now, again, credit where it's due. Simon Mignolet, maybe the best performance of his career. Maybe the best performance of his career. Um, but... Brilliant again from from Bruges and like the surprise package of the competition. Ten points, they're through. Don't need to worry about anything. Uh, Porto have six; they're currently second. Atleti have four; they are third. And Leverkusen are bottom. Porto beat Leverkusen last night as if Leverkusen owed them money. Three nil to Porto. They went one nil up through uh, Galeno on six minutes. Leverkusen thought they'd equalised Amin Adley, but Patrick Schick was ru- was ruled to have handled the ball in the build-up. Uh, Tarami with two penalties in the second half as Porto just sort of rammed home a bit of dominance in that game. Tottenham Hotspur three, Eintracht Frankfurt two. Spurs made this game harder work than it should have been. Uh Daichi Kamada scored after 14. Really, really good player. Really good. He can't be at Eintracht 
for much longer. Really good player. He he would fit a lot of Premier League clubs. He's got a bit of Bobby Firmino about him and that he can play nine or ten. He can also play as an eight. He can play in as, as a second striker. Really good player. Super intelligent. Can run a game through him. Um, Youngman Son scored on 20. Harry Kane put Spurs ahead on 28 from the penalty spot. Son made a 3-1 on 36. And Spurs should really have run away with this game, especially when Tuta was sent off on 59 minutes. But instead, they went a bit stagnant. They went a bit stale. And Aladou scored on 87 to make it a little bit of a shaky last five minutes for Tottenham. A little bit disappointed again that Jed Spence gets absolutely no love from Antonio Conte, but it'll come. It'll come. I'm confident that Conte will turn turn around and see what a good player he has there. <clears throat> sporting nil, Marseille two. I said yesterday, Sporting's keeper won't get sent off in the first 25 minutes. He didn't, but someone else did. Ricardo, Ricardo Esqueo, I think that's the pronunciation of his name, um, starting at right wing back, managed to get himself two yellow cards in the first 19 minutes. Guendouzi scored a penalty in the 20th minute, and that was kind of game over, really. Alexis Sanchez made it 2-0 on 30 minutes, and then Pedro Concalves compounded a dreadful night for Sporting with a second red card on 60. And they can count themselves lucky that Marseille were just sort of trying to see out the game. Really disappointing from Sporting. Uh, They dropped from first to third in the group. Tottenham now top, Marseille second, Sporting third, and Eintracht in fourth. Least surprising result of the night, although the scoreline a little bit surprising. Uh, Victoria Pleasant 2, Bayern Munich 4. Bayern were 4 up within 35 minutes. Muller, oh, sorry, Mane, Muller, and 2 from Leon Goretzka. And that was kind of it. They just went into autopilot. And Pleasant fought back in the second half. Uh, Vlakanova and Clement with the goals. And a uh, little bit of respectability on the scoreline. And then the game of the night, and the last 10 minutes of this were absolutely manic. So we knew that Barca needed the win, and they went one up through Usman Dembele on 40 minutes. On 50 minutes, Nicolo Barella equalized for Inter. And on 63 minutes, Latura Martinez put them 2-1 up. And you thought, well, that's it. That's Barca stuffed. Robert Lewandowski scoring on 82 made it 2-2, but they still need the win. By the way, Lewandowski has not gone three consecutive games without a goal since 2019. Just think about that for a second. Three years without going three games without a goal. That is ridiculous. So Lewandowski gets the goal and Barca are piling on. But Robin Golson scores for Inter on 89 minutes coming off the bench to make it 3-2. Lewandowski does manage to equalise in the 92nd minute to give Barcelona a point. But 
that's not enough. That's not enough at all. Bayern are top on 12. Inter second on 7. Barca third on 4. And Pleasant bottom with no points. Now, both teams have to play Bayern and Victoria Pleasant. And Inter have a three-point advantage. And all Inter need to do is match the point total. So if Barca beat Bayern and beat Pleasant, Inter would just have to win one of their games. They just have to win one of their games to match them with 10 points. And they will go through as a result of a better head-to-head against Barcelona. And they're going to beat Victoria Pleasant. It will be one of the great Champions League shocks if they don't. So assuming Inter beat Pleasant, Barcelona are out of the Champions League. And that Victoria Pleasant game for Inter is next week. No, sorry, two weeks from now at home. It will be, I think, one of the biggest shocks in Champions League history. Sheriff Tiraspol last season over Real Madrid, probably the biggest, but that would be right up there. Barca are home to Bayern. I think Bayern would very much enjoy sending Barca to the Europa League. The Europa League is, is going to be potentially really good. So Ajax will likely drop into it. Uh, Atletico Madrid, Porto and Leverkusen can all drop in. At, at the moment, it will be Atleti. Barcelona, Sporting, potentially Eintracht either. You wouldn't you wouldn't know. Eintracht won it last year, so they might fancy it. <laughs> Sky points out, both Sevilla and Atleti can't both win it. No, if, if Atleti go in, they have to win it because it's Simeone. Uh, Sevilla can just hold it for this season. Uh, Milan looking potentially like ending up in there as well, though they play Salzburg and Zagreb in their last two games. If they don't win both of them, they've got no excuse. Um, Shakhtar, they'll be fun, not to play against, but they'll be fun to watch in the Europa League. If it's not them, it'll be Leipzig. It, it could be Sevilla. It could be Copenhagen. You never know, but it's probably Sevilla. And Juventus, along with the clubs that are already in there. That could be a lot of fun. And speaking of said Europa League, we obviously have a full round of games tonight. In the early games, we get Larnaca versus Fenerbahce, Bodo Glimt versus Arsenal. Enjoy Norway, lads. Nantes versus Freiburg. Feyenoord versus Midtjylland. That was a belter last week. Would expect probably something similar this week. Dinamo Kiev versus Rennes. Parabeg versus Olympiakos. Uh, Union St. Gilles versus Braga. Real Betis versus Roma is the one I'm going to watch. PSV versus Zurich. United versus uh, Cleaning Solution. Ludogorets versus versus HJK Helsinki. Real Sociedad versus Sheriff Tiraspol. Union Berlin versus Malmo. Ferenc Faros, who are absolutely winning this competition, by the way, versus Red Star Belgrade. Trabzonspor against Monaco and Lazio against Sturm Graz. That is your Europa League games for tonight. The first eight that I listed there, Larnaca at home, Bodo at home, Nantes at home, Feyenoord at home, Dinamo kind of at home, Quarabeg home, Union St. Julius home and Real Betis home. They're all 
the 5.45 UK time kickoffs and the rest obviously at 8pm. In the the big one, the Europa Conference League, we also have a full round of games. Again, eight early, eight late. The early games, Apollon versus Azel Alkmaar, Partizan Belgrade versus Cologne, Feyenoord, uh, sorry, Feyenoord, Fiorentina versus Hearts, Istanbul Besiktas versus RFS, Cluj versus Slavia Prague, Austria Vienna versus Villarreal, Slovan Bratislava versus Basel, and Jurgarden versus Ghent. Some decent games there. The late ones then, Vaduz versus Dnipro, Nice versus Slovako, Zilgiris versus Pionic, the artist formerly known as Stoya Bucharest versus Silkberg, West Ham versus Andalek should be a decent one. Uh, Beersheva versus Poznan, Balkany versus Sivaspor, and Shamrock Rovers versus Molda. Please, 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 please. One point. One point is all I'm asking for Rovers. I don't ask for much. I know you got a point early in the competition. I'm looking for one point tonight and then one more point, and I'll be happy. Three points, you'll finish bottom. If you can get me three points, I'll be happy. Because Rangers ain't getting three points in the Champions League. I don't think I'm going to get three points from Celtic. You're not winning a game in all likelihood. So I just want I just want to say three. The three draws will, will do me. Three draws will do me. And then you can say you did better in Europe than Rangers. And isn't that what we all aim to do? Celtic, Celtic have a point. So and that, you have a point. At the moment, you're doing better than Rangers anyway. But uh, it, it's still not good enough. It's not good enough. God, and Celtic have to play Shakhtar and Real. That's going to be ugly against Real. It's going to be ugly. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we have some listeners' questions and we have the gossip and we're done for the day. See you soon. Right, welcome back. So, uh, listeners' questions. Let's see. Someone sent me a question, and I know I've lost it, and I do apologize. Somebody sent me a question the other day on Twitter, and I meant to take a screenshot of it, and I have lost it. Um, I do have one from Twitter from Alex Sapupo, and it is, make an 11 of players who are eligible for more than one national team, and in your opinion, chose the wrong one. Oh. Um... Right, let me get a, a piece of card to write on and a pen. Uh, we will start off. The, the number one candidate here for me is Tiago. Tiago was born in Italy to a Brazilian father and grew up in Spain, so chose to play for Spain. His brother decided to play for Brazil. I think if he played for Brazil he would be starting next to Casemiro in the Brazilian midfield for this World Cup. And I would have Brazil as substantial favourites to win the competition. So I'm going to have him there. Now, this player that I'm picking next might still decide to play for Ghana. But as of now, he is an England player, and that is Callum Hudson-Odoi. And I think that's a mistake because... He's not going to play as many games for England as he would for Ghana. 
if you consider the the wide options that England have, just Saka, Sancho, Foden, Smith Rowe, Grealish, and then whatever comes next, I think Hudson Odoi could be a star for Ghana. I look at Wolf Zaha, and I think he was much better when he went and played for the Ivory Coast than he was when he was going to play for England from an international point of view. Um, Fikayo Tamori, I'd absolutely put in here. He would be the starting centre-back for Canada at the World Cup if he'd chosen his country of, of birth. He would be the starting centre-back for Nigeria if he'd chosen to play for the country of his parents. But he decided to play for England and he is stuck behind mediocre centre-backs because England's manager is what one could only describe as a fool. Um, I'm going to put Declan Rice in next to Thiago. And I'm going to put, although I'm not a big fan, as everybody who listens to this knows, I'm going to put Jack Grealish off the left. Because both of them let me down. Did they make the right decision? Probably. But you should have played for Ireland, the Perrius. Especially you, Declan. You have caps. You have Ireland caps. And we have tweet evidence of you saying, can't wait to play against England. And, and a phrase that got a group of girls in trouble. So let's not pretend, Declan, that you're not on the right side of history. You might have strayed the line, but you remain in my good books. You're the fellow. He'd have been so much better if he was Irish, wouldn't he? He just would. He would have been so much better. Um, That's my midfield then. Right, let's think. Let's have a think about this. Um, This one may be a little bit controversial. Gonzalo Higuain, born in France, has French citizenship. I think he would have been better off playing for France. I know he had a, a good international career for Argentina, but I think he would have had an even better international career playing for the French. So I'm going to put him in. The other one I'm going to go with, and again, this guy had a, a really good international career and, and scored one of the most important goals in the history of the country he chose to play for. Uh, this guy, for me, would have been the other way around. He could have played for Argentina, chose to play for France, and he was born in France, so it is understandable. But I would say David Trezeguet. He grew up in Argentina. I would say him in that Argentina team in the late 90s, early 2000s with the likes of Aymar, Saviola, Ortega, Raquelme, all that playmaking around him, he would have been the main guy for Argentina, and he wasn't ever for France because he had Henri, 
They also had Anelka, obviously. Now, again, he had a really good international career and scored. I mean, the the goal against Italy in the Euro 2000 final is one of the most important goals in the history of French football. But I, I still think he'd had a better career if he played for Argentina. Uh, so I'm going to put him up front. Um, Let me think. Let's have a look. There's a whole bunch of players that could have played for Albania, could have played for Kosovo and ended up playing for other countries. But uh, I'm not going to ding any of them because the reasons were, were absolutely warranted. Um, I'm sort of looking at players that maybe played for two, played a, a game for one and switched. Like, like say, Wilf Zaha. But... A lot of players got like a cap or a couple of caps for France and then switched. Or played underage for France and then switched. Um, Alex Bruce is not good enough to get in this team, obviously, but uh, he played Ireland underage and then played Northern Ireland senior just to get a couple of caps because, you know, why wouldn't you? Um, let's see. Ahmed Hodzic, the young centre-back, I'm going to put him in. He was born in Sweden, raised in Sweden, but chose to play for Bosnia. And I can get on board, and he did, did get capped once for Sweden. I can see why he did it, but I think Sweden will be a better international team over the next decade than Bosnia will. So for that reason, I'll put him in next to Tamori. Um... And I need two fullbacks then. Tariq Lamptey made the right decision by switching allegiance, so credit to him. Um, I mean, the obvious one, I suppose, is Ryan Giggs. But I don't know that he ever could have played for England, could he? I mean, I suppose maybe he could have if he... I, I don't know how the, the national thing worked. Pepe. Pepe has had a really good international career, but he could have obviously played for Brazil because he was, was born there. I don't think he would have had a better career than he's had for Portugal, though. Um, Marco Senna, the same. He wouldn't have had a better career for Brazil than he did for for Spain. Um, Cameron Aze won the World Cup. Would he have done better with Argentina? Probably not. Probably not. 
Adnan Yanazai, I just don't think is a good player, so I'm not going to include him. I'm struggling with this one for fullbacks and a goalkeeper. Fullbacks and a goalkeeper. Do you know what? I'll put Owen Hargreaves at right back. I think he should have played for Canada. I do. I think he should have played for Canada. That lad had never set foot in England before he went there for the first training camp. He'd never been to England. So I'm going to put Hargreaves in as my right back. Left back. A shortage of really good left backs over the years. Um, oh, hang on. Goalkeeper's tough as well. Hmm. I need a goalkeeper and a left back, and I'm really struggling here. Um. Let me come back to it. Let me come back to it later and just move on and, and get something else done in the meantime. Um, Rick M, how highly do you rate Beckham as a player? Some people didn't like him at the time, but when you look back and watch his goals and effort, he was excellent, in my opinion. He was excellent. David Beckham was an excellent footballer because David Beckham largely stayed in his lane and knew what he was good at and did what he was good at. I don't think Beck Beckham was ever world class, but my standard for world class is higher than the kind of the norm. I think, I think it is anyway. Um, but Beckham was was outstanding. He really was outstanding. As good a crosser as we've ever seen. As good a long passer as we've ever seen. Um, overrated free kick taker should be said. Overrated free kick taker. Uh, people talk about the Greece free kick a lot. A lot. That was about his sixth free kick in that game. He'd had a lot of sighters. Good free kick taker, but not, not as good as some people make him out to be. Um, wanted to play central and didn't have the head for it. Was much better and more effective on the right. His work rate was incredible. As a right side midfielder in a four, he was more or less everything you want. Um, probably the second best right side midfielder in the world at the time behind Fiegel. But yeah, Beckham was Beckham was tremendous. A really, really good player. And like you said, I mean, the work rate for a player of his profile and his ability, the work rate, but it was the work rate that made him so good at what he did. Like he was good at passing because he practiced so much. He was good at crossing because he practiced so much. His corners were outrageous because he practiced them so much. Um, Beckham is the result of, obviously, a lot of talent, but an incredible amount of hard work. Tom James, think it, Dave's random thoughts segment could be very interesting. Very interesting or get me cancelled. Uh, it could go either way. We'll think about it. James, let's say we Liverpool switch to a 4-4-2. What are the best positions for Jones and Carvalho to play in that system? 
Uh, there's more of the question. I'll come to that. Uh, for Carvalho, I think probably off the left like he did last night. Now, Diaz would be the starting left winger. Carvalho is obviously a very different player, but gives you the opportunity to try a different look with him. So I think left side of the four-man midfield for him. For Jones, I, I, I'm in favour of Trent being the right-sided midfielder. But not playing it like wide, glued to the touch touchline. Playing a narrow right side where he can influence the game and play in the same kind of positions as he currently plays. Work from in to out as opposed to on the other wing with Diaz or Carvalho out to in. And I kind of feel like that's a position you could maybe use Curtis Jones in as well. Different type of player to Trent, obviously. Doesn't have the passing range, but still a good passer. A very good ball carrier. So I think he could have a lot of success in the channel. And obviously you could use him as a... You could also use him off the left. Doesn't have the pace, but he's a good, again, good ball carrier. Good technical level. Um, I just, I'd make him Trent's primary backup, if I'm honest. On the right side of the midfield, playing it narrow. Uh, what do you do with Henderson? Uh, he'd be the fifth central midfielder. Simple as that. He's not good enough to play anymore. I know he's been under par for a while. He hasn't been under par. He has been awful for over a year now. And he was poor the year before that. He hasn't strung a run of two or three good games together in a row since before he got hurt in the title winning season. February of 2020. A global pandemic has happened. A war has broken out and is now seven months old. The Queen died. Harry and Meghan resigned as members of the royal of the working royal family. And I'm trying to think of other big things that have happened. There's a new president of America. And he's already almost halfway through his term in office. And all of these things have happened. And more since Jordan Henderson was good enough to play in this team. Sorry, he's the fifth central midfielder. Fabinho, Thiago, you need to buy two. You go and you buy two. You make Trent a midfielder or you buy a right side midfielder and play Trent right back if you prefer. I'd prefer to see him right side of the midfield. And you just go with that. You just go at Henderson's your fifth midfielder. Simple as that. He plays in the Cups. Yeah, he's on big money. He's not going anywhere because no one wants him. Put him on the market tomorrow. You wouldn't get any offers for him. You'd have to pay him to go away. He's the fifth midfielder. Isaac Gilding, if you could design your own career as a player starting from 18 or so, how would it go? Who would you play for? What would you win and in what order? Obviously, in this fictional scenario, it would be possible to win a quadruple every year and become the most decorated player of all time, but keeping it more realistic, how would you want it to go? Um, There's a couple of ways to look at this. So th there's, there's a part of me that absolutely adores the career of, of Totty. One club, start to finish, one league title, could have gone anywhere, could have played for anyone, could have won everything time and time again. But he's a god at Roma. 
Now, it doesn't necessarily even have to be at his level. You know, you look at Matt Letizia's, the, the poor man's toddy. Southampton, a god. Now, obviously, they're outrageously talented players. But I do think there's something about being a one-club player and just being idolised by a group of fans and having that legacy and being able to go back. Now, I'd want it to be at a certain club. I'd be happy enough to be a right-back or centre-back or whatever. Don't don't really care. Um, don't want any glory or any of that nonsense. I'd like to win a few bits and bobs because I think the game is about winning. Um, like Boca Juniors, that, that, that'd be brilliant like and then especially as an Irish person let's just say right so let's just say it is fictional right so 16 years of age and I'm playing for Irish Club X Shamrock Rovers in the Milk Cup which takes I don't know if it still does used to take place every year it's uh, 15s under 15s I'm playing with that and clubs small around the world used to come to it I think as far as I know Boca Juniors played at it a couple of times so let's say they're there and they spot a hell to me and say, sure, come on over to us, and uh, we'll see how you do. And I head off to Argentina, much to my mother's disapproval, and let's say I make the grade there, and get in their team as a right-back at 18, and play my entire career there. Now, I turned 18 in the April of 2000, so what have Boca Juniors won in that time? Because for me, I'd, I'd love it to be one of those historic, clubs with unbelievable fans and a great stadium and I, I just think that I think it'd be so special to do that way. So since 2000, Boca Juniors they won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine league titles. That's a lot. I'm I'm fully admitting that's now let's say I played till I was 36 so i retire in so i win eight league titles i win eight league titles um cups one two three four five six six of the different cups that they compete in uh four copa libertadores i'll take that uh two copa sudamericana which is kind of their uefa cup so that, that is actually that hang on a second. That is an unbelievable seven-year run. Imagine a team winning four European Cups and two UEFA Cups in a seven-year run. And yeah, give me that. Give me that. That that's what I want. I'll do Boca Juniors the whole career. A pretty good centre back, linked with, you know, middling European teams, your Sevillas. Your Romas, your West Ham Uniteds, or you know Arsenal as they've been, or whatever Tottenham, whoever. Uh, not the the elite of the elite, obviously. I'm not going to put myself in, in that category. Um, but yeah, I mean, g- give me that, give me that career. Eighteen, nineteen years at Boca, playing in front of one of the most raucous crowds in the world winning a, a good amount of stuff. A, a lot of stuff, let's be fair, a lot of stuff. Eight or nine league titles, four Libertadores, two Sudamericas, um, 
three of the Super Cup jobby and a bunch of domestic. Give me that. Give me that. That would be that would be unbelievable. More realistic, obviously, would be a journeyman career in the lower leagues. Um, or even like one club in the lower leagues. Like one club in the lower leagues would be fine. Yeah, any like Sheffield Wednesday for start to finish. You know, a couple of relegations, a couple of promotions, you know, long serving hundreds of games. That'll that'll do me. Uh, that would do me absolutely fine. But the Baca thing would be, yeah, something like that would be, I didn't realise how much success they'd have, but yeah. Baca would be unbelievable. Get to wear great kits as well. What's not to like? Look at the players you'd have played with as well. Raquel May, Tevez, Gago. That would have been, that would have been the one. And like, the cool thing would be always having the question, when are you coming to Europe? When are you coming back to you? Never. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Just no interest. Leave me alone. I'm going to stay in Argentina. I'm going to finish my playing career. I'm going to buy a farm. And I'm going to raise cattle. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go into the beef trade. Happy out. Happy out. Yeah, that, that'll do me. Um... Oh, I have to go back to this one. Uh, I still can't think of a left back. Alfonso Davies could have played for Ghana. Oh, yes. That works. Alfonso Davies, left back. Tariq Lamptey, right back. Suleimane, right wing. So you get a, a Davies, Suleimane, right wing. You get a Lamptey, Kudus, other wing. And say hudson Adoy is a 10 behind... Who do they have up front? Uh, let's see. Who do Ghana have as a striking up? Um, Enaki Williams. Perfect. Perfect. Bit of pace and power up front. Three lethal young attacking midfielders behind lethal fullbacks big issues obviously at centre back and in centre midfield although Salisu Salisu we, we do like so he's he's fine so you need a central midfielder two central midfielders and yes two central midfielders I'm not missing anybody I know who I'm leaving out and um I need a centre-back and two central midfielders. And I've got I've got a team I can work with. Uh, goalkeeper, maybe not so much, but I'm happy enough. Kasper Michael could have played for England. No, Technically. He's yeah, but he wouldn't have been good enough. Erling Haaland could have played for England. And that would be quite terrifying. Um, but Kasper Michael wouldn't have gotten in the England team. Because remember, when Kasper came through at City... He lost his spot to Joe Hart. It would have been the same thing for England. So he's better off. Like he's he's not his dad, obviously, but he's the second best goalkeeper that Denmark have ever had. He's he's a national legend. Uh, I believe he's international captain. His dad has 129 caps. He must be getting close. He's only 86. Oh, Alphonse Ariola could have played for the Philippines. Alphonse Ariola. Just saying. 
it works. We're putting him in. We're putting him in because he's not going to get the caps he deserves for um for France because they are absolutely stuck on Hugo Lloris. Uh like it, it's a joke. France have a much better goalkeeper in Mike Magnon. Mike Magnon could have played for uh Haiti. He could have played for French Guyana. Uh but no. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. There is a goalkeeper. Alban Lafont. Alban Lafont is who I'm going to pick in goal. Now, he actually, to be fair, is still up in the air because he hasn't been capped by France yet. But he was born in Burkina Faso. And... They don't have a great team, but they've got Tapsapa, who's really good. And they've got Kaburi, who's really good. They've got... What's the fellow's name that plays up front for them? Bertrand Traore. Do you know what? I'm going to put him in instead. Because the Philipp- like the Philippines, let's be fair. Uh, no disrespect to anybody from the Philippines, but... They're not a national team that's going to compete for anything. And they, to be fair, they've had a pretty good goalkeeper. What's that fella's name? Etheridge. Isn't that his name? Neil Etheridge. Isn't he Filipino? I think so. Yes. Yes, he is. He was born in London, but he chose to play for the Philippines. And he has 70 caps. So you just don't know. You, you, they might have been the same way. Ariola might have just been, been stiffed on that one. Um... The Philippines coach is named Thomas Dooley, and it disappoints me greatly that he's not Irish because that is about as Irish a name as he could possibly have. Yeah, I'm going to go Alban Lafont in goal. So Alban Lafont in goal. Now, I've criticised Tamori. I've included Tamori for not playing for Canada, and I've taken Davies out for playing for Canada. But I do think it works because him and Suleiman down the left for Ghana would be the best thing going it will be ridiculous right last question and this is going to take a couple of minutes as well amk 2889 your 11 successful ex-player managers versus 11 not successful player managers who would win right another piece of card um so Successful managers, midfield is going to pick itself. I'm going to try and keep it as as kind of um, recent as possible. So obviously you'd have Simeone. You'd have Ancelotti. You'd have Pep. And you'd have Conte. And that is a midfield that will graft and graft for days. It's a nice tight midfield four. Um, centre backs. In Beckenbauer is the obvious one. I know it's not as recent, but he's a very successful manager and won a World Cup. Um, Lauren Blanc's a good manager. 
He just is. He just is a good manager. Uh, he's a bit of a questionable individual, but he is a good manager. Should I try and keep this? I sh- hang on. I, do you know what? I'll try and keep this with guys that are managing now. So I'm going to take Beckenbauer out. Let me pull up the different leagues and go through and see what we have. Um. We don't know yet what Alonso is going to be, so I'm not going to include him either way because it's far too early for him. We'll see how he does. Um, Simone Inzaghi has been a successful manager, so I'm going to have him. I'm also going to try and keep this to... Players that people, like, managers that people will kind of remember when they were players. So, like, for example, Gasparini played for years and years and years, but and he's a really good manager, but no one remembers his playing career because he finished in 93. So I'm not going to include people like him. Uh, whereas Simone Inzaghi was playing 10 years ago. When did he retire? 14 years ago, in fact, but still. I think most people, no, sorry, 12 years ago. I think most people of the right age will remember Simone and Zaghi. Um, I forgot Dejan Stankovic was a manager now. Now, he hit, we again, too early to say how he'll do. But as far as I remember, he did fairly well. He did unbelievably well at Red Star. 78.3% win percentage. Lost only nine of 134 games. Three straight league titles. That's outrageous. Not sure how it's going to work out from at Sampdoria because they're garbage. But we'll see. Um, So I'm not going to include him. Not enough of a track record just yet. Um... Put put Sergio Ponce in because he was a good player, but I'm gonna try and and he's and he's a good manager. I'm gonna try and stick with just four in midfield. Um, too early on Arteta, too early on Gerard, too early on Gary O'Neill. I'll put the Zerbi in as my second attacker. So I do think he's had a successful managerial career thus far um too early on Vieira I'm very tempted to put Lampard in the other team but we'll leave him alone they'd be mean to pick on him um Ten Hag no no this is a struggle we need we need defenders and a goalkeeper um Paolo Fonseca. He's in a bizarre career as a manager. Mihailovic, if you want to go mental. Oh, yeah, give me him. So he got he, he has worked recently, though, so we'll go with him. Mihailovic, 
and he has done well in general. And Laurent Blanc isn't Roberto Carlos managing somewhere? How's he doing? I, the fact that I don't know means we can't put him in, but no, he's not. No, he failed as a manager, so he will be in the failed 11. Gareth Southgate, Gareth Southgate will be in the failed 11 at center back. Um. I'm tempted to put Van Basten in the field as well, even though, like, again, I know it's not, he's not managing now, but never very impressed by his work. But I'm going to put him in because it's my team, I'll do whatever it is I please. Uh, Van Basten. Um, uh, let's see. What position did Mancini play? Striker. Ooh, he's better than, yeah, to be fair, he's better than the Zerbi. Manage, better player manager remains to be seen. I'm gonna play Luis Enrique at right back, even though he largely played his career as a winger. I'm gonna play him at right back. He's a successful manager, and for le- I'm tempted to put. I think Giovanni Simeone's a decent manager, but I know Rangers fans will disagree, especially after last night. Um, let's see. I mean, Deschamps obviously won a World Cup, but I'm not not a big fan of Deschamps, the manager. Um, so I'm not going to put him in because then I'd have five midfielders. I need a left back and a goalkeeper for my good managers who were players 11. If I can find a centre-back, I can shift Mihailovic to left back. Um... Is Rijkaard for Barcelona Champions League good enough? He technically played centre back for a bit, didn't he? He did. Rijkaard. Rijkaard was a decent manager, and then, but I, yeah, Rijkaard's a good shout actually. He did play centre back for the last portion of his career. He hasn't managed in a long time. It's weird. He his first job was the Netherlands job. Um, let's have a look. Netherlands, no, he was garbage with them. Failed at Sparta Rotterdam, somehow got the Barca job, did win a Champions League. But see, if I put him in, I, I kind of have to include Deschamps as well because, well, he did better at winning a World Cup. Uh, the Netherlands went through some grim times. They had him and then they had Van Basten within a few years, I and mean, he was awful as well. I know you did a lot better than him, but did a lot of better than Reichardt, but still. No, we're not going to include him. No, no. Uh, let's see. Bundesliga. Who have we got that? Nico Kovac, I'm just not a big fan of. Um, I mean... The obvious one that I haven't put in is Zidane, and the reason I haven't put him put him in is because he's not working at the minute. But I mean, the fella won three Champions Leagues, um. So you kind of, I kind of have to put him in, don't I? Kind of feel like I have to put him in. So what I'll do is I'll shift 
Luis Enrique to left back. We'll put Conte right back. And we'll go Zidane in midfield with Pep, Ancelotti and Simeone. I still need a goalkeeper, though. Um, Lopetegui. Oh, yeah, there's the shout. There's the shout. Lopetegui was a good goalkeeper and a very good, I think, very good manager. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Lopetegui works. Right. Failed experiments as managers. Um, The goalkeeper that comes to mind is Walter Zenga. But that might be a bit biased because I only really remember him managing Wolves and he was a shambles. And looking at his managerial career, he was a manager from 98 to 2020. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Ah, here. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18. 19 different clubs. If you manage 19 different clubs in that length of time, that tells me you're not a good manager. Uh, career win rate of 41%, largely boosted by a spell with Red Star Belgrade. There's a lot of 20 and 30%. Walter Zanga is the goalkeeper. Um, Gary Neville, absolutely. Failed manager, Gary Neville. Um, the star of yesterday's podcast, I'm putting him in. I don't care. Steve Bruce is, oh no, it has to be Saul Campbell, doesn't it? It has to be Saul Campbell. Sorry, Steve, you're not even getting in here. Saul Campbell, I'm putting in, not necessarily because he's a bad manager, because I don't know if he is or he isn't. And he obviously hasn't had an opportunity at a top club. But what he did to Macclesfield, helping them go to the wall or pushing them to the wall like he did, is unforgivable. He didn't need that money at that time. And he could have worked out a deal with the administrators and he wouldn't. So Saul Campbell, you're a prick, basically. And you're in this team. Uh, next to Neville, Campbell, Southgate. Feels like I should have picked Stuart Pearce at left back to have like England 90s. Oh. Oh, it's going to be full England 96. Hang on. I think it's fair to say Tony Adams failed manager. Now, I don't know that Saul Campbell was in the England squad for 96. I think he was, but I can't properly remember. He was. First captain in 96, was he, was he at Euro? Yeah. He was only a, a, a sub. Oh, we're reworking this. We're going Zanga in goal. Neville's a right wing back. Stuart Pierce at left wing back. Campbell, Southgate, and Adams. Wonderful. Up front with Van Basten, I'm putting in Mark Hughes, 
who routinely gets jobs despite no evidence that he knows what he's doing. So I need three in midfield. I need three in midfield. Does Henri not count for this? He's just far too beautiful of a man to disparage his name in such a way. Far too beautiful of a man. Phil Um, Neville, midfield. Phil Neville. How's he doing, actually? He's still Miami F or Inter-Miami manager. I know there was a lot of talk that he was going to get the sack. 39%. That's unacceptable. And bad. if you look at how England's women's team are doing now, compared to how they did under him, Phil Neville, absolutely in you go, son. In you go. Um, oh, I, I, this is one of my favourite players. I don't know if I want to include him, but I, I kind of have to. Lothar Mateus, you had yourself a bit of a stinky managerial career. Started out promising when you were not being a fool, but it, it all became... Uh, a disaster. So Lothar Mateus is in. Was Rude Hullet bad outside of Newcastle? Uh, Rude Hullet did a fairly good job at Chelsea. Disaster at Newcastle. Looks like fine. Or, yeah, look, like Rude Hullet's managerial career doesn't appear to have gone well. Do you know what? I'm. I'm I'm going to give Saul Campbell a pass because if we're being fair, he, he's only had the two jobs and I, I put him in more because he's a prick than he's a bad manager because I don't know if he's a bad manager or not. But I'm going to put Phil Neville as a wing back because it, it, like he, I can't stomach the idea of him in midfield. I'll go Adam Southgate-Pierce as a defensive three, the Nevilles as the wing backs. Um... I'm going all Galaxy midfield. I know we've talked about him and he won a European Cup, but the rest of his managerial career, thank to high heavens, we're going with Frank Rijkaard, Lothar Mateus, and Ruud Hullet. Because Hullet did pretty well with Chelsea. Garbage everywhere else. Garbage. Hot garbage at, at some spots. So we're putting him in. That's an unbelievable... Uh, midfield and it reunites the um the Rijkaard Hullet Van Basten trio. So now, guy, my question to you: Who's the better manager, or I should say, who's the worst manager, Mark Hughes or Jurgen Klinsmann? Mark Hughes did well at Blackburn. He did. Has it has and I think he was doing pretty well at City to no, begin with. Yeah. So let's has Klinsman done well anywhere? And Mark Hughes, let's be fair to him, did well at Stoke the first two years, finished like ninth or something. And so, he was inoffensive at Fulham. Yeah. Correctly. He was bad at QPR. QPR, but he took over a, a horrendous situation there. In January, so I can't really blame him. He was awful at Southampton, but again, took over a bad situation. He seems to be doing all right, Brad. But you know what, Mark Hughes, you get a reprieve. You get a reprieve. We've already got two. Alan Shearer's caretaker stint. No, I'm not. No, no, I'm not doing caretakers. <laughs> not doing caretakers. I think it's Klinsman because 
he didn't try and neither get her for Berlin Renegade, didn't he? Yeah, and he like he kind of hijacked the whole thing. He did an appalling job with America. An appalling job with America. He didn't exactly do great with Bayern. Like when he was Bayern manager, Bayern didn't win the league. So failure. He did okay with the German national team and finished third, I think, at the World Cup. But it was a home World Cup, though. It was a home World Cup. And then after him, they had to tear the whole thing down and start over again. And they went on and won it under the fella who was his assistant. So I, I feel like I'm putting Klinsman in. I'm going Klinsman van Basten up front. Rijkaard, Matthias, and Hullet as my midfield. Adams, Southgate, and Pierce as three centre backs. Zenga in goal. Neville, Neville on the full as the full backs. That's the the bad managers team, and the good managers team: Lopetegui, Conte, Blanc, Mihailovic, Louis Enrique, Simeone, Ancelotti, Pep, Zidane. In Zaggy Mancini, I know I've probably missed a bunch of people, but like I try to do things. I don't look at these things before we do them, so it, otherwise I'd be here stumbling and bumbling for another half an hour trying to think of names. Uh, one bit of news: the ball from the 1986 World Cup that became infamous, infamous for the hand, infamous for the hand of God, is set to be sold. The referee. Still has it. Why does the referee still have the ball? It's expected to fetch between 2.5 and 3 million quid. Bear in mind, the shirt he wore in that game sold for 10.4 million. Sorry, 7.4 million. 7.4 million. So Maradona memorabilia from that game alone going for, they expect, around 10.4 million. Um, the most expensive game-worn memorabilia is a Michael Jordan NBA Finals shirt from the 1998 season, his last season with the Bulls, which went for 8.7 million. And the most expensive piece of sports memorabilia ever is a Mickey Mantle baseball card. Mickey Mantle was a legendary uh, outfielder for the New York Yankees back in the 50s and 60s, who probably is the most talented player ever, but had horrendous luck with injuries and tended to enjoy life outside of baseball, maybe a bit too much. Uh, his baseball card went for 10.8 million. A baseball card. A century-old T206 Honus Wagner card sold for 6.2 million, which is also a hell of an effort. Now, the Honus Wagner's card is obviously much older than the Mickey Mantle card as well. 51 to 68 Mantle's career, seven World Series if you've never seen the film 61, it's about Roger Maris breaking Babe Ruth's home run record, but it's about Mantle and Maris and their 
relationship because they were both going for it and Mantle got injured and got behind Maris. They went from budding heads a bit to becoming uh, really good friends and they had great success with, with those Yankees. Um, I can't, but 10.8 million for a baseball card is just mental. I've gone completely off topic. Uh, gossip. AC Milan are preparing to open talks with Rafael Leo over a new contract. Milan are interested in signing Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I think that will be a good move for him. Uh, Chelsea are close to a deal to appoint Southampton's head of senior recruitment, Joe Shields, as their new director of football. Is Joe Shields not the guy that just moved to Southampton from Man City? He is. He is. He's the one who just moved to Southampton from City and then brought in a load of Chelsea youth, or sorry, City youth players. And it does look like this deal is going to happen. Crazy. That's some glow up for him. Uh, Chelsea are interested in recruiting Stuart Weber as sporting director. Stuart Weber has done a brilliant job with Norwich, but I, that's a big, big step up. I, he's probably more than well well able for it, though. Real Madrid are not interested in killing Mbappe as a lie. Manchester United have told a number of clubs that they will not sell Nathan Aki in January. Uh, Liverpool are monitoring Guido Rodriguez. It has him down here as 24. He is 28. So that's nonsense. The Glazer family are not interested in selling Manchester United, but would consider if an offer of over 10 billion US dollars was made. Well, that's nice of them. Fair play. Fair play. Why not? Brentford have opened talks with Ivan Tony over a new contract. It's Football Insider, so probably crap. Uh, Leeds is set to offer Jack Harrison a new contract. Wolves are in advanced talks with Pedro Martins, a local Wolves journalist, tell me that he they are not. They have mentioned that Nuno's name has been discussed, though. That is just an awful decision. Wolves have inter- interviewed Rob Edwards for their managerial post. He just got fired by Watford. He can't fail upwards that much. Act like a Premier League football club. Act like one. Chelsea and England right-back Reese James are hopeful that the knee injury he suffered is not too serious. Tottenham want to make Dejan Kulusevski's loan move permanent. They don't have a choice. It's an obligation to buy. They have to make it permanent. Lazio boss Maurizio, Maurizio Sarri is unhappy with reports linking Sergei Milinkovic-Savic with a move to Juventus. Uh, Milinkovic-Savic would be mental to go to that mess right now. West Brom are interested in speaking to Millwall boss Gary Rowett about their vacant managerial position after sacking Steve Bruce. Hmm. Gary Rowett's been around 10 years and I've never really seen anything to tell me that he warrants some of the hype that's around him. Like, he was Burton Albion manager, and he did fairly well there. But, I mean, Nigel Clough did well there. He was sacked, I believe, by Birmingham, 
but that was more down to the owner being a bit stupid more than anything else. Uh, he went to Derby, did okay, went to Stoke, got sacked, and now he's at Millwall. And he's won 38.7% of his games. Has he gotten them in the playoffs at all? I don't think he has. <clears throat> now, I, I I don't know whether Millwall should be in the playoffs. I, I, they don't have the biggest budget. They spent so ninth, 11th, and 8th. It's not great. It's not great. There's no progression there. So... I don't know. I don't know. He he doesn't seem to me like a manager that will get you out of the championship, and that's kind of what they should be looking for. Uh, this has gone much longer than expected, so I will leave it there and see you all tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.